Professors FM. Hey everyone, welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast, brought to you by Emory Marketing Analytics Center. Mike Lewis and Doug Battle with you today. What we want to do today is go over, uh, call it the top 10 events or moments in the world of sports and the sports fandom for 2023. Now, Doug, I had trouble ranking these from one to 10, so I don't think there is a ranking. So what I want to do is sort of, we'll just, I'll let you call these out randomly, numbers one through 10, and we'll talk about what was on my list. Now, before we do that, I want to say, I, I got a number of honorable mentions to this list, right? Because it's always tough to figure out where to draw the line. So some of the things that I thought were interesting and potentially important down the road, and for some of these, I, I didn't include them because as I thought about them, it's like, in some ways, this is just more of the same, right? Yeah. It's just like a continuing story. So on my list of honorable mentions, I had Wemby, this, this kind of new unique basketball player in the NBA, the women's national team sort of on their <laughs> last yeah. their last kind of rodeo before that before the big names were sort of separated themselves from the team. The WNBA, the Liberty Aces kind of narrative storytelling. Now I, I didn't include that one, even though I think it's interesting because the very beginning of the WNBA, they tried to pull the same thing, where it was Rebecca Lobo for the New York Liberty and um, Lisa Leslie, I think, for the Los Angeles Sparks. Yeah. Um, I also had things like the Lamar Jackson or Joe Burrow's contract, but frankly, NFL quarterback contracts are there's a new record every every contract. So that was on my list of honorable mentions. Well, I'm happy to hear that Georgia winning its second national championship in a row isn't an honorable mention and is, in fact, the top sports story of the year <laughs> for you as it is for me. Okay. Now, and I think that's that's something that has to be clarified. It's not the top sports stories, right? It's the events that I think almost foretell the future, the things to look it, it at. It was an event that would foretell the future. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> Just, this, year's a, this year's a fluke. An aberration. <laughs> okay, so Doug, call it out. <coughs> number right, one through ten. Let's start with number number seven <laughs> on your arbitrary list that doesn't have. Okay, I had two number. things for number seven, and that is the MLB pitch clock and the NBA in season tournament tournament. So now, we could I, like summarize this as format changes or league. League changes. What I wrote down was, yeah, I mean, so these are small things, but they show an effort by both leagues to try and reposition for the future. Mm -hmm. So changing the format, changing the product a little bit. Now, I, I think they're different, right? The the MLB shock pitch clock is very much an effort to shorten the games, maybe be more appealing to Gen Z. The NBA in-season tournament, I think that's an effort to replicate what has worked globally for soccer. Mm -hmm. The success of the MLB in season pitch clock, because my understanding of it is that nobody recognized the, the change or that there's no measurable improvement in viewership amongst younger generations. And I would imagine the in season tournament for the NBA probably have marginal improvement for, for the NBA's viewership in the pre Christmas period. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to, frankly, to either of those because. 
I, I think, look, I mean, the, the NBA, I, I don't know that anyone was particularly enthusiastic about that. I, I saw some numbers, some ratings reports that maybe they were doing a little bit better yeah. in terms of the early season ratings. I don't know how much of that to believe. I, I just think it's in, we've, we've got this fixation in the world of sports that we've got to, we've got to appeal to Gen Z and we've got to move towards the global audience. I think these are efforts to do that. The, the pitch clock, I think the initial reaction was from the purists, right? Is this going to change the game? Is this going to sort of detract from the tradition of baseball? I don't think that happened. I think mm-hmm. par- people barely noticed it. Did it improve things? Did it attract Gen Z? I think the answer, I think this the answer is consistent with your intuition. And that's, well, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Hopefully down the line. Maybe if they had the players do TikTok dances between every pitch or something that Gen Z would start to, <laughs> to find some interest in it. The Savannah Bananas are not on this list. Okay. The Savannah Bananas are Gen Z baseball. Yeah, or, or they're a reinvention of the Harlem Globetrotters. Or that. They're just a little less spectacular. <laughs> but, hey, both are, both are essentially semi-pro. So... Yeah, I, I think the in-season tournament, and we've talked about this, but I like the general idea. I just, the execution of it left something to be desired for me. And I hope that the NBA feels the same way. I hope that they don't settle for what they had. Okay. that they Because here's the word you I like keep hearing. Concept. Yeah. But did you like the anything about what they did? That's what I'm saying. No. no, no. <laughs> and, and here's... The biggest issue, I've said it a hundred times, is that there's got to be some weight to it in the grand scheme of things. Because people are talking, I've heard the word I haven't heard since 2020, and that is Mickey Mouse Championship. That LeBron won another Mickey Mouse Championship. That's A championship that that doesn't, (laughs) it was just for TV, it was for Disney. It, It wasn't, it didn't have any weight to it, didn't have any meaning, it was illegitimate. And it needs weight. It needs, it needs to matter. The Lakers need to have just secured themselves home court advantage for the playoffs or a playoff spot or something more than like – it's funny to me that a guy like LeBron has never competed in a dunk contest because those don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. And, and you risk injury, not worth the resources of, of a player like LeBron James, more so for uh, – rookie player trying to make a name for himself. Mac McClung even, a, a G League guy. But for this, for whatever reason, it's supposed to motivate players to play. It's supposed to motivate fans to come out and watch. To me, it's less meaningful than a dunk contest <laughs> because there's nothing to hold it up against all time. Last year with Mac McClung, there was talks of how does this rank against Vince Carter? How does this rank against Michael Jordan, Dominique Wilkins? With the in-season tournament, it's like a championship that's not a championship. It's a fake championship in the middle of the season. And yeah. even the league will acknowledge that. And so, again, I like the idea of having like some form of single elimination, although this was a little different than that, but, but prior to Christmas. But uh, still oh, got their work cut out for him. What's... Mildly interesting about it, the Pacers are seventh in the Eastern Conference and the Lakers are eighth in the Western Conference. So I don't know what they actually identified through this. It's interesting that LeBron won You're it. You're saying both teams 
are still in a position where they could miss the playoffs. Apparently. Which is, see, that's what I like about it. I like that it gives those teams a shot at winning something. Uh, but, of course, the fact that the Lakers won diminishes that a little bit because it's not like they're this bottom feeder historically. But what did they accomplish? And and all the NBA has to offer them right now is a Mickey Mouse championship, some extra cash for these guys. You get Tommy DeVito's contract on top of your as, – as a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's it. So, again – like the general idea, maybe some improvement could be made. I think that would be welcomed by everybody. And that's why it's on the list, right? So the the big-time sports making an effort to move toward the fans are or where the fans are going. Um, successful doesn't yeah. seem to be any indication that either MLB or the NBA really move the needle with, any of their, with their innovations. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Doug. Next number, seven's gone. Seven's off the board. Oh, man. We'll go number three. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going with numbers that I like. First. <laughs> I can't go with like six. <laughs> okay, number three is an interesting one because I don't think it got much media attention, but I think you might know a little bit about this. So the Wizards and the Capitals are moving out of downtown D.C. to suburban Virginia. Where to exactly? Let's see, to a new arena in Northern Virginia. So the, the clip I pulled doesn't have the doesn't have the actual address. But when I saw this, all I could think was here in Atlanta, the Atlanta Braves moved from south of the city to Cobb County, right. built in essentially built an entertainment district. They built and, a little city over there. And have been now minting money from this. Yeah. And so I think <laughs> this is probably what we're gonna see in the future of because, look, I think the classic sports property might be something like Wrigley Field, where there was this Wrigleyville where fans wanted to come down, have some drinks, have some dinner. The teams have now realized, wait, we can now build that, control all the revenue, and, and even more importantly, we can build it in suburban locations where our fans that are willing to pay high prices actually live. So I think this is a huge this is an enormous story because I think we're going to see more and more of this. You're making one assumption here that shouldn't be overlooked, and it's that the Washington Wizards have fans in the suburbs, but at all. <laughs> they might be they might think like, oh, we just need we need to move our facilities yeah. because the fans, as it turns out, don't live in the highly populated downtown area of Washington, DC. They're actually out in these rich suburbs. Those are the ones that they wish they could be driving in to watch the Wizards lose by 40 to the Phoenix Suns on a Wednesday night. So we need to we need to build a stadium over there. So I, again, another one I like the concept. I'm just I'm a little concerned that the Wizards don't actually have I, I think that's an incredibly fair the point. Following that the Braves had in Cobb County. It goes to something I've said, right? I mean the name changes are almost always a bad idea. So the Washington Bullets to the Washington Wizards, it's like they've never really – there's never been a, pr a period of prolonged success since they've been the Wizards. And I, I think you're right that they are one of the – if I remember the last time I did the NBA fan base rankings, the Wizards are very much near the bottom. And, and so yeah. maybe it's an effort to go where the Capitals fans are and to actually go to an environment where maybe the Wizards can start to build a fan base. Maybe so. Mike, do you think there's something to this? Do you think that – 
we talk about fandom overlapping or, or stretching into the world of politics, stretching into film and entertainment. And when we talk about like Los Angeles market, you say, well, there's so much to do. There's so there's so much entertainment. There's comedy and there's film and there's TV and people are and so people's fandom gets allocated toward that. And so much, so many pieces of the pie go toward that, that there's very little left for sports. Do you think in the DC market with the Wizards and the Washington football team, R word commanders ranking both dead last or right there near dead last and fandom for their prospective leads leagues? Do you think that the political fandom is is taking up such a huge piece of the pie and, and the enthusiasm and the loyalty and dedication of the population in that city that there's little left for professional sports. I suspect you're right that what happens in a market like DC, it's almost, it's related to what, why Atlanta has struggled so much with some of their sports teams, right? That yeah. the, when I hear Northern Virginia, I tend to think, maybe highly paid government workers, federal right. government workers <laughs> that are coming in, moving into the area, but did not grow up with the Capitals, Wizards, mm. et cetera. And, and so it's it's a little bit of a shallow fandom, yeah. which again, might actually make this idea sort of more effective, right? That you're moving it out to an entertainment district. So it's not so much that you're going to see the Wizards, it's that you're going to see a basketball game in in Atlanta. It's called the Battery, and then having a night out in the Battery, their equivalent of the Battery. So it's more of a you 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 go use the phrase Mickey Mouse Championship. It is almost like the Disneyification of sports, right? <laughs> yeah, going to the sports theme park. Yeah, we talk matter. about we talk about the Raiders being going to a shopping mall or going to a a movie theater or <laughs> something like that, where it, it, it's it works just as well financially as uh, at least in the short term as having a team that people really care about, but it's a different draw. It's a tourist draw. One of the things that's been proposed here in Atlanta is, so the Braves are in Cobb County, which is on the West side of the Northwest suburbs. There's been a proposal to build something similar on the Northeast suburbs up in a suburb called Cummings and bring an NHL team to Atlanta. Some of the pushback has been that hockey hasn't worked in Atlanta. But man, Doug, I got to tell you, you build the right development, one of these kind of entertainment districts up in Cummings, I think you would have an incredibly successful team as well. Again, building the arena where the fan, where the natural fan base exists, collecting all those dollars from rents from the restaurants, it's. I suspect this is the future of sports. In Chicago, they're talking about moving the Bears out to, I think, Arlington Heights. So I, I think that these kind of larger complexes where you can build in bars and restaurants and shopping around the arenas is probably where this is all going to go. So my question is, the like, it sounds like the battery is a, is a great example of how to successfully do this how to build business that's an extension of sports. That's whether it's restaurants or, I mean, I went and saw John Mulaney. I went to a comedy show at the battery. They had signs up. Harry Styles was going to be performing. I went to a John Bellion concert there. It's all right there, but it's, it's on the map because of the Atlanta Braves. 
are the Braves profiting from this? Do they have? Are they getting restaurant and bar <laughs> percentages from the surrounding? I mean, there's apartments on that complex. There's again a concert venue. Is this something that the Braves franchise can profit from, or is it something more that maybe the owner of the Braves is also a big investor who who may be a part owner of some of these businesses as well? Yeah, I'm not gonna. I, I don't know the answer to how the finances are work, but essentially, mm-hmm. I think the battery belongs to the Braves, so yeah. it's all flowing into that to that organization. How much they allocate to the team versus how much they allocate to the the property. I don't know that, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, it is like you're saying, there's a, I think it's called, what's the Roxy theater out there. So yep. there's concerts, comedy, restaurants, bars. It, it's been an enormous, an enormous success. I frankly, Doug, I don't actually like it. It has a feel of being a little bit less authentic. Very, I was going to say, it kind of feels fake. It kind of feels, yeah. Yeah. I like it though. It's, it's nice and clean. And it's it's new and clean, and there's always stuff happening. So it's I don't know. It's not it's not a bad place, and it's it's a certainly an interesting proposition for a team like the Wizards, a team that maybe doesn't have that core fandom, but wants to create an overall experience and package in the game or the sport as part of it, and maybe hope to build some authentic experiences within that with. with folks who come out and spend their time or take their kids or whatever. So yeah, that's all good. All right, let's do number two, Mike. Number two, let's see. Okay, Doug, PGA and live golf. Okay. Now I will admit, man, there's been a lot of stuff. I will admit to a great deal of confusion about all this. So the PGA and live golf hated each other, right? Really a great deal of acrimony lawsuits. And then suddenly overnight they said, you know what, we're going to partner or even they use the word merge. And then just last couple of weeks, suddenly live golf signs, John Rahm, the number three golfer in the world, the top European golfer, I believe to a deal that is worth between 300 million and $600 million with some reports that he's getting $300 million up front. So number one, I have no idea what the status of the deal is. Doesn't seem like they're doesn't seem like the merger is proceeding smoothly. But but it comes back to this this story that is going to dominate sports moving forward, and that is this quest for this global audience. Three hundred million dollars for a golfer? The only way that for makes a golfer sense, not named Tiger Woods. Not named Tiger Woods. The <laughs> only way that makes sense is if you are going from an American golf audience of, I don't know, how many PGA fans are there out there? Let's say there's 30 million. Might be 30, sure. 30 million. If you're going from an American golf audience of 30 million to a worldwide golf audience of 300 million or 500 million is the only way these numbers make sense. It, it's Saudi money. There's some other folks, big money. Cristiano Ronaldo plays for the Saudis. It is this. So, I mean, it, there's a bunch of things wrapped up. The quest for the global audience, some sports washing. It's sort of the latest entry, but it's the latest entry of what is going to be the big story for the next five to ten years. Yeah, I'll just say that it's really it's getting harder and harder to find a clear ROI with some of these deals in sports, whether it's Otani 
whether it's this one with Live Golf, whether it's some of these NIL deals where kids are maybe a, a linebacker who's transferring from one blue blood to another is getting paid half a million dollars. Like, is that kid generating half a million dollars for Ole Miss or for, <laughs> well, for Doug, Texas? I mean, for let me let me say this. I mean, who's the, who's this kid from? And we're now deviating from the list, so hopefully we'll, we'll make this short. But this kid that's potentially switching from Georgia to Nebraska is, is, something, yeah, is something that's yeah. really kind of worrisome in all this. I mean, NIL is supposed to be essentially selling the marketing rights to the, to the individual athlete. But that deal looks a lot like Nebraska is tired of losing and is going to come across with some big money to bring Nebraska. in a recruit. Yeah, no Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah, and I think we've seen that. Like Ole Miss has had the – I think they have the top portal class right now where they've got these five stars from other schools transferring in, and apparently they the bank is wide open with NIL. And, I mean, we've talked about it from day one. I don't know if anyone expected it to get this out of hand, but NIL – well, schools can't pay players still, but there's a pretty easy loophole of boosters – paying the players to create a Instagram post promoting their local car wash or whatever. It's like it could, that money can be reallocated in ways where the schools are essentially paying the players the, the way they would or the amounts that they would. And it seems like schools like Ole Miss and Nebraska, that's what's going on. And to be fair to those schools, I don't know that there's any rules preventing this. I think that it's probably fair game based on the rules. So I don't think there's any rules being broken. It's just turned into a highest bidder situation for a lot of these kids. And I, I think that the bottom line becomes like, I, I don't know that it's as much about, oh, is this kid going to bring in $5 million to Nebraska football or to Ole Miss football? I think it's more of who wants to win more. Who's the more desperate fan? But who has the richest boosters who are most willing to, to throw their money into these NIL deals with college kids so that the team that they root for can be better? And the, the richest teams are going to end up being the winners. I mean, I, I would expect, I don't know how it stands in terms of finances. I would expect a team like Texas to, and they're already starting to look like the Texases of old, but I would almost expect an Alabama type dominance from Texas in the new age of college football. Yeah. So we'll call that number 11 NIL. I don't know. NIL progression. You know, who's not going to be competitive based on this new world of NIL? Emory. The University of Illinois. Thank you. <laughs> Illinois. Yeah. Okay. So we'll call hey, that 11. You guys got Tommy DeVito, so hopefully somebody else is going to see that story and some other New York kid that wants to be QB1 for the Giants. I don't know, Doug, Doug. Okay, real quick. When Tommy DeVito, I have not seen a pregame. When he when they, when they the cameras roll and he says Tommy DeVito from blah, 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 where does he say? I don't know because I watched the game at Buffalo Wild Wings yesterday and it didn't have the audio. The audio is for a different game, so I couldn't tell you. But Tommy DeVito, oddly, oddly <laughs> I can't do the accent, but I, I just love the uh, love the idea of all the the New Yorkers rallying around this hometown hero because he he won a couple of football games for the Giants and now people are starting to talk about him starting over Daniel Jones. So yeah. lost last week or this week. But. We've got seven, three, two, and eleven off the board. Let's do number one. Okay, number one pains me. <laughs> Number one is Taylor Swift. <laughs> and it, it pains me because I don't want to put Taylor Swift on this list. 
I, I don't. You know, I mean, this is a sports, predominantly a sports, sports and attached to culture list. I don't want to talk about Taylor Swift. I don't think Taylor Swift is particularly good for the NFL. But I think Taylor Swift is the story of fandom for the year. And it's something that, look, I, I think, Doug, I think most NFL fans are a little tired of Taylor, actual NFL fans. But the sports media loves Taylor, wants her to keep showing up, wants her to walk by the opposing team, wants her to cheer for Travis in the in the. They want to the see team. her. They, they see love her every moment. The they want to see her flip the bird. From the, oh, I want to do that. <laughs> fan. I wanna, yeah. Doug, I want to see an eight-year-old fan of an opposing team flip her the bird. <laughs> also that. <laughs> like a little girl goes up and she gets all nice and sweet, like she's going to take sign an autograph <laughs> and take a picture. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, first off, Taylor, I still think Taylor missed an opportunity with the Super Bowl this year. I, I can almost guarantee that was offered to her. And I feel like she had a chance to just completely – sweep the entire year <laughs> in terms of attention as a musical act uh time magazine person of the year i think been all over the place i i do i will say i do expect if there's any celeb that i expect to see in super bowl ads it's taylor swift i expect to see that 100 percent. maybe even taylor and travis together but maybe Without a new formula a for football do you think travis is the the company's hiring Travis. You think they can afford Taylor? How, how do you feel about yeah. that? So, Doug, you're dating a woman, and you're doing an an, an endorsement with her. I feel great about that. And she <laughs> and you're getting you're getting 1.5 million for the ad. She's getting 25 million. I feel great. That it's amusing, great. but it's perfect. Sounds, sounds great to me. I'll take that. The only other thing that I always got to add about Taylor is that she is again kind of this critical thing in that she is the only really piece of unifying fandom. Taylor Swift and the NFL are the only things that you can go into work, you can go into school, and you can always find someone that has an opinion or has an interest in it. I think we are down to those two things. I, I think that's we a fascinating need to, place for culture to be. We need to do a Taylor Swift versus Beyonce episode at some point because the Beehive, they're almost anti-Taylor, because not because they don't like Taylor, but because – she gets a lot of the attention they feel that Beyonce deserves. The more talented, the better singer, better, better dancer, better looking, better blah, blah, blah. Like, And those fan bases go at it like Ohio State versus Michigan, like Alabama versus Auburn versus Cowboys in the Washington R-words. It's a beautiful thing to watch. And there is that there is that level of rivalry. And so, Doug, you got to help me. Isn't there a generation gap there? Isn't the, isn't the beehive, as you called it, 10, 10 years older, 15 years older? Millennials, yeah, millennials versus Gen Z. And I think, uh, or I mean, there's some overlap with the millennials, of course. But yeah, I mean, I, I think to me, like as a kind of third party looking at it, I do kind of wonder, like, wait, why does why does Taylor why does Taylor Swift get this fandom or this like worldwide universal appeal? And it's reflected on the dollars with the the paychecks you're seeing this year that someone like a Beyonce doesn't get. Like, what's the difference there? What what is she doing that separates her? And is of course there's gonna be people that bring race into it. And it's like, how much of a factor is that? How much of a factor is the market that they grew up in, or the the way they present themselves? How how innocent their work is, or how how they started? How old they were when they started? Like, there's so many factors, but. 
but that that is something that's interesting to me because Taylor, for whatever reason, has this magic. I don't think anyone's ever. I don't think anyone would ever claim that she's the most talented singer, that she's the most talented dancer, performer, but she just has this magic. It's like going to Disney World where it's like, yeah, there might be theme parks with better roller coasters, but they don't have that magic that Disney World has. Yeah, I mean, frankly, to be honest with you, I've always thought the thing about Taylor is that she's got – it's it's almost captured in her facial expressions. She's got like an enthusiasm a natural enthusiasm that I think is very, very rare. I mean, it's like Taylor does not appear rehearsed the way she smiles and the way she, yeah. And again, it, Even though she very well may be. She probably may is. Be. <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, that, that goes back to the old Michael Jordan ads. Jordan was, Jordan had the biggest smile in the world. It turned out later that he was a complete. And again, we say this with the most fondness possible, a complete psychopath as he was smiling. It could be the same thing with Taylor. Yeah, I'll say my quick take here is that Taylor is an every woman. She she's like almost attainable for like for an audience to feel like I could maybe be like her. She's kind of like me. She was the girl in high school that wanted to date the star athlete, but she was on the on the sideline and he was dating the cheerleader. Like the, <laughs> these are her lyrics like like she she wasn't the cheerleader. Like she wasn't she, Doug, was, she the, was the cheerleader and the girl next door, right? Yeah, but she she's the girl next door. That's how that's how she was presented for yeah. such a long time. And then she's the girl that ne- next door that became larger than life. She's Peter Parker and fe- she's she became a superhero and people f- girls I think feel like wow, that's like really inspiring and attain. Beyoncé was like a goddess from day 1. She was always the prettiest, always <laughs> the she was dating the star athlete. <laughs> she was before she broke, like before she was always that girl. And so I think that that's part of the magic with Taylor. Is I, I think that some of the things that people are critical about with her are actually the things that help her reach such a wide audience. It's it's the Tommy DeVito effect. She's one of us to so many people. Uh, <laughs> so I love Tommy DeVito. If you okay, Doug. next number. We'll go six. Six. Okay, the Major League Baseball World Series. Okay, so you already mentioned that brought up the issue of, okay, Major League Baseball did a pitch clock. Did anything positive happen? I don't know what happened at the local level. Maybe there was an attendance spike. Maybe the local market TV revenue, TV ratings went up a little bit. Maybe people were just a little less bored. Yeah, maybe. But the World Series ratings had a historic low. So 9.11 million viewers for Texas versus Arizona, a 4.7 rating, the lowest average over the series that has been recorded since they started tracking ratings. So baseball, and again, you, we we can dig into this. We can say Texas Rangers, Arizona Diamondbacks, not exactly the New York Na- Yankees and the Los Angeles Dodgers, but they're decent-sized markets. They're big. They're relatively big markets. Very little interest. Well, and I think this the World Series used to be like the Super Bowl where regardless of who's playing, there is a built-in audience because it's a national event. And that's simply no longer the case. I am curious though, Mike, have we seen the NBA Finals and the Super Bowl, for example, with lower viewership? 
every year in recent years. Because I'm, I'm curious how much like cutting cable and people keeping up with things on social media factors in. The NBA has drifted downward slowly, mm-hmm. but tends to bounce around a little bit. But the NBA, I want to say you're, you're still talking about numbers like 12 or 13 million. So again, right. the, the fact that baseball is now well behind the NBA is strange. Yeah. In terms of the history, the sports history of this country, it's dramatic. <laughs> and then, you know, the NFL, no, nah, I don't think there's been any decline. I mean, the, they're, they're, they're off their record numbers. But again, it's still 100, maybe it's 105, maybe in a bad year, it's 98 million. So it's, look, and again, Think about the scale of those, those numbers, 100 or 110 versus 9 million. It's crazy, the separation that the NFL has now versus MLB. I'm also curious if a player like Otani is in the mix. Yeah. Does the international viewership jump so much that baseball is back on paper? Doug, I don't. again, I, I think the problems are so fundamental. Tell me the best player on the Texas Rangers and the best player on the Arizona Diamondbacks. This is not this is not Reggie Jackson or Barry Bonds. We are in a different place in terms of I mean and you could argue maybe that this is where Reggie Jackson was known as Mr. October. Mm-hmm. So his fame, his brand was built during the World Series. Now we're getting to the World Series and there's no one. There there's just no one that is in the national conversation. Yeah. I I see I see the problem. I don't know what my solution would be, but nonetheless, down Taylor here, Swift. Taylor Swift, a team signs Taylor Swift for a record-breaking contract, <laughs> just to have her in the dugout. Um, if Taylor Swift had thrown out the first pitch, that would have been the highest rating point of the series, right? All right, let me let me counter. Let me ask this. <laughs> this is this is silly, but. Instead of paying a player like Otani or a player, one of these phenoms, you pay Taylor Swift uh, a large amount of money, Otani money, to be the back girl, to be in the dugout at every game, (laughs) to go get the bat. Does does your team's viewership triple? Does your do your ticket sales triple, or is that (laughs) is your ROI greater having Taylor Swift as the back girl? than signing Freddie Freeman to play first base. I don't know that you could do that, but I mean, for for a team. But if you got Taylor Swift as one Batgirl and Beyonce as the other Batgirl during the World Series, <laughs> in all seriousness, you might be tripling the ratings. I no, I mean, there's actually, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I hate it. <laughs> I, hate, I hate that we're there and, as a society, but here we are, so... Um, okay, number, let's see, number eight. Deion Sanders in Colorado. Had a good two-week run. <laughs> there, uh, it's kind of like my New York Giants with DeVito, where it's like we, we got to be the center of the sports universe for like a week. It was awesome. Now we're back. Yeah, so Dion came into Colorado. Okay, so the Dion coaching arc is he, he started out as a HBCU coach, was absolutely devoted to that was devoted to growing the prominence of that larger brand. Got a Power 5 offer, quickly left town, went to Colorado, fired, I don't know, 90% of the existing players. Have you seen some some of the videos of those players talking about how they were dismissed from the team? 
absolutely brutal stuff, like 30-second conversations in terms of go clean out your locker type stuff. The team had was the center of the sports world for, what, three three weeks, three, four weeks? Yeah, and what's weird to me is Dion was treated as like a martyr or he got this moral pass or, or not even pass, but people held him in a high esteem like he's this great man who's doing this great thing much like they did at the HBCU, but it's like, he's a football coach. Like he's cutting players. He's, you know, trying to win games. He's doing, he wasn't doing anything that anyone else isn't doing. He just was a lot louder about it. I I don't know. Do you think, I've always thought that, look, I, I mean, everyone's a mercenary, especially look in the world of sports, you need to be a mercenary. Careers are short, right? You, you don't own these institutions, but Dion has always struck me as a complete mercenary. That he is, that there is, look, that if Georgia or Alabama came calling, he is resigning from Colorado while he's on the phone, right? He's picking up a second, a second cell phone and he's doing the resignation as he does the acceptance. Uh, you know, oh, I think he has, a lot of college coaches would do that if Georgia or Alabama came calling. I, 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 and look, I agree with that. I'm just, but I'm just but saying. If Colorado's rival came calling and they are offering an extra couple bucks a little extra support with nil i think he's there i do too i don't think i think he's always going that dion is going to make that move for the more prestigious the the bigger platform whatever it is got no problem with that the issue i have with it and look i've got no problem with the media the sports media love this right suddenly the rock was in boulder colorado right this was this was as fun as taylor swift for the for the media (laughs) But for the institution Colorado, I still maintain they got to be the center of the sports world, but I don't think this ends the way they think it does. I think this ends with the the show moving on. And I just have this I just have this image of these Colorado football coaches when they Colorado comes back and tries to recruit, them kind of going, Yeah, not so interested. I think I'm gonna send my kids to Nebraska or UCLA based on that they broke those relationships. Yeah, I'm not. A, if it were my alma mater, I wouldn't be a huge fan of what's going on in Colorado. But nonetheless, they got they had their five minutes of fame, and it was glorious. And then they lost a lot of football games. <laughs> I, at one point, we were talking about playoff for Colorado and, and Heisman Trophy, like two Heisman Trophy contenders, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Just because it's amazing when you watch one team how their stars become the biggest thing. It's like yeah, it's how it always was for me. Like growing up watching Georgia and the Giants, like I thought Tiki Barber was the biggest star in the universe. And I thought that David Green or DJ Shockley were David Pollock were the premier household names. And it's it's just like there's when you watch one team every week, you, you bias yourself a little bit. You're not seeing what else is out there. And so uh, granted, those are all great players who I love very much. Yeah, but it's a, it's an important point, right? And this sort of as local media has disappeared, a lot of that kind of core fandom probably disappears. I, look, I mean, the same way. Like I, I could, Doug, I would have a better bet to name. Like I could name more Chicago Bears from 1985 than I could name Atlanta Falcons from 2023. Right. And it's just because we used to live in this world of yeah. local. Now it wasn't your local media, but because you were a fan, you were seeking out 
essentially the equivalent of local media coverage. Yeah. And I also feel like there's, it's the same in politics with uh, like, I mean, looking at Donald Trump winning the presidency and, and potentially being a candidate this go around and Deion Sanders jumping to head coach with no coaching experience. And now it seems like celebrities and brand names, personal brand names are dominating Taylor Swift. Again, uh, we talked about Beyonce talk, I mean, we talked about with boxing, Logan Paul, the Paul brothers kind of dominating the pay-per-views and it's becoming so much about the internet stars and the celebrities across the board where it's at a point where you feel like if Leonardo DiCaprio wanted to come coach at whatever Big Ten school bottom Illinois. feeder has, a, okay, well, uh, has an opening that they might consider it because it might bring in some NIL money and it might draw some attention. And, and, sure. and Doug, I could hire I could take I could hire some really top top notch assistants and coordinators. Right. And then right. Leonardo just has to go out there and talk to seal the deal with the, the the parents to get the players in and and talk to the media. Yeah, I think that would work. And he's more no, than I capable mean, of of presenting a convincing personality of choice, whatever whatever he decides. So, Coach DiCaprio, I think, would be a force to be reckoned with at least for ESPN. Okay, and I and I think again that's that's kind of why this is on this list. Now, Coach Prime is a unique guy who's been a major star for. I think 30 years now. Yeah. But it is this kind of this role of stardom in the coaching ranks. I mean, again, if there's one theme for this year's list, it is the role of stardom, right? It's the role of that celebrity or stardom that is moving the needle on just about everything in the world of sports. 